welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click. Bit of a niche topic today, but one that is becoming more and more important for customers. But before we get into that, please, if you haven't already done so, please leave a review for the podcast. It helps boost the rankings, get in front of more listeners. Uh, More listeners means better guests. So today's topic is sustainability. Customers are more and more interested in company values these days, particularly around sustainability. So it's important to do what you can as a business to be seen as more sustainable. But what's crucial is that it comes across as genuine, especially if you're making a key part of your messaging. If you're a massive brand who launches a small line of sustainably sourced products, but the rest of your business is an environmental nightmare, it's not going to go down well with customers. Today's guest is Pete Durant, the head of marketing at BAM, a bamboo clothing company. He's got a particular focus on telling brand stories, so particularly important for a company like BAM. Let's get Pete on now to tell us about how sustainability fits into the marketing mix. Hi, Pete. Thanks for joining me. Would you mind just giving us a little bit of your background, you know, a quick introduction to yourself and what you're up to at the moment? Sure. I'm Pete Duran. I'm the head of marketing at BAM. BAM is a climate positive activewear brand. Um, you can find us at bambooclothing.co.uk. Head of marketing and comms, so oversee everything from our advertising to PR to digital, online, offline, and, and our e-commerce function as well. So really, basically, that uh, bridge to customers from our product. Awesome. Cool. And is this something, is this the sort of thing you've done your whole career? It's the first time I've been in fashion and e-commerce specifically. My background is varied from agencies where working with the likes of Virgin, Datcher and Waitrose and Specsavers, brands like that, Leonce as well, to working client side, so Comic Relief and working at Blast, which is an esports entertainment company. And Endemol Shine, who are now called Banerjee, who I'm sure you will see their signature at the end of many films and many TV programs. So quite varied, but all always has been brand, marketing, storytelling, content. So really being able to connect with the customer. And then that evolved more into marketing. So weirdly, I started my career in TV production okay. a very long time ago as a runner, junior researcher. And then I fell into doing online content for Big Brother and the games. So basically running the websites and which were the content places at the time for TV broadcasts and uh, TV shows. And then uh, and then kind of evolved from there. And I went did I kind of run the UK community and then was the global ad solutions guy so basically ad creative guy for a teenage virtual world called habbo hotel and this was at the point where social media marketing wasn't a thing mm-hmm. and it was just about sort of ticking into that direction and then from there i kind of worked yeah various different brands but kind of built my career in content built my career in brand and brand campaigns, creative campaigns, became a specialist in social media. So run a social media agency and social media department within a bigger agency. I became an expert at that and kind of then grew from there basically and, and, and then sort of grew into marketing because and, and just expanded my horizons and, and here we are. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like you've done yeah, a fair bit. Um, yeah, it's it's a really, it's a really it's not I think it's going to be more common now, but certainly when I was coming up, you know, social media wasn't even really an industry. So mm-hmm. that I kind of grew up within that. So it really started with content and creative and running communities and understanding customers. 
and then being able to create stuff that they would engage with and then do what you want to do. So whether that's buy virtual furniture or whether you want them to click or whether you want them to click and buy or click and, and read an article, whatever that is. And that that as a base skill rather than being brand manager or starting as an e-coms person or starting as a uh, paid ads kind of person. So I kind of grew with that and social media kind of grew at the same time. So yeah, and then kind of came up that way. And I think you'll probably get more people having that very varied skills-based career path rather than you start off here and I want to become a global brand director and that's how it works. It's interesting you say that. I see a lot of people specializing early on, particularly agency side. You because one of my one of my complaints about agencies are the fact that you quite often get stuck with, you know, an account executive who's got one and a half years experience, maybe two years, but the only thing they really know is the platform and how to use the platform. They're not really marketers. And then they kind of their career just goes from there. Then they might move in-house, but they'll be the PPC person or a Facebook ad person in-house. I didn't go down that route. I, I was a generalist for most of my career, and then I specialised in CRO. Yeah, I, th- I think it's an interesting one because uh, you know the industry is big enough to for both, and we know that both exists, right? You know, that's the you know you could just a quick cursory look on LinkedIn, and I think the agency model is really interesting right now. So we have just appointed. I think four new agencies at BAM. So we went through a massive process and a big review of our media at the beginning of this year because we'd grown as a business and we we were kind of looking for different things and investing in different agencies to help us get where we needed to go because we saw that we had gaps of specialist knowledge. We had gaps of some broader knowledge and we we, we knew that we had to fill those in the right way. And through the process, we actually, it was a bigger, longer process for us because we were asking for both integrated solutions and for specialist solutions to pitch. So, and then within that, we obviously wanted to have a choice and range of the types of agency within the specialist space and within the integrated space. So it was, it was very comprehensive and it was a really fantastic exercise. And we found brilliant agencies on both sides, but there were just pros and cons of both. And really, it was about us as a brand to identify what that what was right for us. And and I think you know we in the end went down the specialist route, and we now have a new we have a new specialist earned comms and PR agency. We have a new SEO agency. We have moved and now have a new specialist PPC and paid social advertising. And we also have a new buffer-line media agency as well. So, you know, you can tell like with the digital and the above-the-line and the planning that, you know, there are lots of pros and cons of being specialist or not. And actually, we felt that actually we, we wanted someone who was a real specialist and lived and breathed that one thing. And that was good for us because that's what we felt that we wanted. Equally, I've worked in an integrated agency and certainly the agencies that we met in our pitch process, they also had those people in-house, but the offer was slightly different. And you know, when I was running the organic social part of a big media agency, I would consider myself an expert. 
And that's cool. I think it's about how you tie it together and how agencies work together and how you as a client set the right environment for everyone to be able to thrive. So you get the best and you allow people to work together and, and that it's a healthy collaborative process rather than it being where people are trying to make business from one another. Um, yeah. And even though we've appointed loads of new people, we certainly don't think they're doing that, not yet anyway, but, but I, I certainly think that that's the, that's the big challenge. Uh, yeah. Especially, you know, especially if you've got different stakeholders and people trying to you know, do their job and grow their own businesses. So um, yeah, specialists are great, uh, but, but then so are generalists. I'm a generalist, yeah. so it's very hard yeah. for me to. Yeah. One thing you that. mentioned about, about communication, I do think, Communication is obviously really important. It's it's important for for agencies and and freelancers or whoever to to have an idea of what's going on like in the the bigger picture, you know, the wider marketing space. And I do think that happens. It's a bit harder when you've got various different specialists, especially external specialists, who do kind of just want to say, "We do PPC. We're just going to focus on PPC. That's our thing," and not really caring too much about what else happens. Whereas in yeah. an integrated agency, you, they are they do work together because they are that internal team. Well, sometimes they do work together. Sometimes they don't. I think it's where the I think it's where the emphasis goes and how good how good your client teams are really. And actually, those generalists in, in the bigger agencies, how good they are at being able to lead these different units where you're not really the manager, you kind of own that client. And because, you know, the bigger the agency, the more clients you have, the more pressure you have, and the less you do care about the wider thing because you work really hard to be able to do the work that you do, right? You know, agencies are volume businesses. So those client people are the really vital ones. And that's when it flips back to if you have lots of specialists, it's down to myself, it's down to the people in my team who own those day-to-day relationships with the agencies to make that work. And you do, I think, I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, working in an agency and then coming to client side to appreciate or maybe enhance those relationships for those agencies that do work for you. And I think that's something that we're super sensitive about at BAM and we try a lot of effort to do is to is to provide a platform where everyone can do their best work, treat people with respect and make it fair and allow them to thrive while working with us. It's not always the case. It's not always perfect. But our MD, Ryan, he used to run his own marketing agency. So for, for a very long time. So he has, he knows he's been there, he's done it, and he certainly doesn't want our partners to to do that you know i've done that as well and i think it's, it's i think it's really important to have that kind of respect and one of the best places i saw do it through my career which is what i kind of have taken as a mantra and that was specsavers and they really try to foster the feeling that you were an extension of their team you earn an agency, you respect savers. And they, they were very like that. They had a very long standing and still do PR agency called Tiger Bond, who 
do and when you were working there from another agency you you i genuinely didn't feel like they were the pr agency i felt like they were spec savers and they really yeah. represented the brand and, and i think it's that kind of culture that is where the best work happens because you not only do you get to know the business and you get to know each other you feel like you're more of a team and, and you're all working towards the one goal but yeah communication i think is important and it, there's a lot of responsibility on the client i think you know if you've got problems with your agencies then the first thing is is look at how the way you're running them and, and it, is it the right way is it the optimal way are you being a brilliant client and if you are then brilliant then you can you know push the push the challenge down but yeah there's just there's lots of really talented incredible people out there i think it's just i think the way people sell it in really and uh, fulfilling their promise. Yeah, yeah, I think all, all valid points. I think, I mean, I definitely, I've definitely preferred the the clients where it has felt like I'm part of the team. You no, know, you do feel, you feel much closer. You feel more kind of engaged with that brand. Yeah. And other times it's almost like you're made to feel like you're a, you're an external partner. And you've just got to do that, that thing that they brought you in. Yeah, it's a hard balance as well because having been on the agency side and having go through going through people's tracked hours uh, at the end of the month or quarter or whenever you do it you see lots of over delivery there and that's that's the kind of stresses of the agency business model which which i which i don't think help at times and that's not a criticism against our agencies they're all new or or even the ones that we've used in the past i think it's 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 just it's a challenge because you want them to become parts of your business and you want to bring them in you want them to just sit in a meeting and just hear it so you don't have to repeat it or you want them to say do you want to come along for drinks and you know it's going to be a force it's probably going to be an hour out of your time with us and we're going to have a bit of a meeting or you know whatever you do. and it's just yeah it's finding that that right balance really but i think the, the other interesting thing for me is and i've kind of seen it on both sides is brands needing agencies for projects rather than necessarily needing an agency for 12 months mm -hmm. and being able to i think actually our new pr agency wonderland have done this very well where they came to us once we decided to appoint them and said you know we don't want to work on a retainer let's call the next year a project and let's let's do it that way and we'll deliver that and then next year we can review it and, and look at it like that. So I just think that as a mentality is a really great way also of saying, this is what we're going to deliver for you and this is what it's going to cost. And, you know, it's not about our guaranteed money per month. It's about delivering for you and ensuring everyone gets paid to do it. I just thought that was quite a, a novel approach. Maybe it's easier in PR than it is in paid media, but certainly creative and those areas, I think that that's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's move on to BAM a bit. Yes. Yeah, where should we start? Because we went on a bit of a bit off topic with, with the agency chat. So yeah, what, what do you think is the biggest contributor or, or the biggest opportunities for growth for you guys at the moment? <clears throat> so the big, biggest thing for us, I mean, the thing about us is that we, that a lot of people don't know is that we've been pioneering natural activewear since 2006. 
we've been around, you know, it's a hell of a long time for, for a business. You know, we're 15, 17 years old. And we were started by a guy called Dave, who's our owner and still is our owner. So we're not, it's not a VC backed company in that way. We still got him and his vision and sort of running the business in that way. And he wanted to build a viable, environmentally sustainable business. And that coupled with his goal of trying to find the best that human spirit has to offer as an adventurer is at the heart of BAM. And when you understand that's kind of why we were why we were started and he started discovering bamboo and started kind of, you know, discovering different materials that you can use for clothing and activewear that are much better for the planet. It kind of helps understand sort of the opportunities that we see and how we set ourselves up. Because we're a very mission-led business. You know, we basically, our mission is to create the best activewear for performance and be the kindest we can be to people on the planet. So that means natural fibers. That means developing and innovating the product. So we try and get over the massive challenges in fashion industry in terms of environmentally, in terms of people. And it's about having that mission, being an ethical, conscious force for good within our industry. That is our been our contributor and our opportunity really for BAM. So we, with that, as we started, we started off in Dave's garage, as I'm sure most businesses are, or a small bedroom or a, a kitchen table. And our growth as a D2C business, we then obviously have got the website and that's kind of our e-commerce function that, that runs through bambooclothing.co.uk. But we moved to catalogs and direct mail to start okay. with. And then in the last sort of four to five years, moved to digital and digital is massively ramped up for us. If you put all of the spends together, rather than, you know, SEO and, and the retargeting, et cetera. Digital is now our, our biggest spend. So we've gone from a catalog business to being a digital business. So our, when we look at our opportunities and our growth, and think that we've been in this beautiful area of e-commerce, activewear, and sustainable shopping, three huge trends which we're right in the middle of, we see our growth being, you know, our contributor to growth is, is really expanding our marketing and by evolving our range. And that really is kind of two of the most important things for us for growth at the moment. So it's growing our range innovation. So this, this autumn winter, we have brand new fabrics coming out that we've engineered and we've innovated. So for performance and for the planet, it's expanding our 73.0 range. And we just won a Draper's Award for Best Sustainable Product. So we are designing circular clothing. Uh, and what that means is that we use it from sustainable materials or recycled materials. It becomes a garment and then you can send it back to us and we will recycle it and we will okay. recycle yeah. everything. So basically nothing goes to waste. Yep. So we have these really innovation rates. So for growth for us is to continue to innovate our product and to have product that is great for the planet, that gives people options, but also performs really strongly and is like the thing that will work. So product, 100%. The other big thing is just obviously is our is a marketing, diversifying our marketing. And it is both our challenge 
and also our opportunity as well. So it basically route to customers and who those customers are. So, you know, that's the, they're, they're, they're the kind of, I guess, biggest growth opportunities. I'd say for us as well, you know, our biggest investments is also our, our impact positive strategy, which is, you know, the, the mission to make sure that it is kindest to people in the planet. So our three-pillared strategy for that is also our big investment big investment for us. And the thing that will also has contributed to our growth and given us a point of difference in the market. Okay. Yeah. And so speaking of sustainability, it's obviously quite a hot topic. Consumers are becoming a bit more sensitive to that sort of thing. But because the first part of this is how do you how do you get that balance between talking about sustainability and making sure people understand that you truly are uh, like a sustainable business and it's genuinely something you care about. How do you balance that with talking about the benefits of the products themselves and actually selling people on the products? Yeah, it's really difficult. <laughs> it's a real <laughs> challenge. And if I, I, we, we are working, we've done a good job to start with. We can get a lot better. So we have lots of projects that we're moving on with that, that are helping us define, learn, and redefine sort of how we do that. I think that I think the most important thing is to start with is that people care, but they still want and need a product that does the job it's being asked to do. Mm. Otherwise, we'd all be wearing hemp onesies, and that would be whatever, you know, yeah. like in, and things like that. We say, okay. Maybe a slight exaggeration, but I, I think it's. I think that's 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 as you said, that's the challenge. And the other challenge is is when you have a very limited time to speak to people. How do you get everything you want to say across as clearly and as simply as possible? You know, you, you get what three seconds to grab their attention, five seconds to tell your story, ten seconds to do your extended story. I could go into our kind of three-pillared strategy and everything that we're doing and you wouldn't get it into two hours probably. So for us, it's I think the challenge for everyone is it goes back to this very simple basics of communicating and storytelling. Our story, our three-pillar story, so just for everyone who doesn't know BAM, I will try and do this in the quickest summary as I can, but this will show you the challenge that we have. We are climate positive. What that means is that we offset more carbon that we produce from our forests where the natural materials are to the fibre production, to the manufacture of our garment, to all the transportation selling it to the first 50 washes by every customer. Because actually, one of the biggest carbon creators in a garment is the washes and the usage that someone then puts onto it. And it isn't necessarily the UK production. We talk about it like a bow tie. So the more carbon is sort of at the front end of the process, making translating from the bamboo into bamboo fibre. And then UK operations and transport is relatively low. And then all of your washing. And your dry cleaning, if people dry, not dry cleaning, tumble drying, if you do that, then it goes out the other end. So we offset everything, including that first 50 washes. We've also planted 9,000 mangroves, and we're also reducing our carbon across it. So that's one, and that's taken me a few minutes. 
just yeah. the headline that's, of that as an example. That's a really interesting point around uh, around washing the products. Yeah. I'd, I'd never really thought about that. I, you know, I'd always thought about when a company's talking about being sustainable and producing sustainable products, it's all their end. Yeah. But it's really interesting that you're actually taking into account those, do you say first 50 washes? Yeah, first 50 washes, which is an average life cycle of an item of clothing. It's okay. kind of an estimate and an average. And we actually also, we, we also do a campaign, which will be June this year. So keep an eye out for it, which is called Dare to Wear Longer. And we're going to have some limited edition tees that are created. And what that's about is basically to say, because of the fabric that we use and the technology in our products, you don't need to wash them as much because you could probably get three washes, four washes out of a T-shirt, even if you're doing really kind of high impact exercise versus synthetics and, you know, your polyester and your things like that. So that's a big part of what we do is to try and look after the climate. But yeah, as you said, that when you start to think, oh, God, actually that's there's a life cycle to a product outside of just after you've bought it that that has an impact it's it's really interesting and that also goes into our second pillar which is around we call it nature but 73 percent of all clothing goes to landfill 73 percent and that just sits in containers in a port in bristol it gets sold to romania where we don't see the rubbish and it takes 50 80 if that years to then break down so it's a really huge problem for nature for the climate and and for everything so that's a big pillar for us so within that is all about product innovation and working with amazing partners so when you think about that 73 percent it's like a horrific and literal mountain to climb. Yeah, we, that's where I talked about the circular clothing. So we, in by 2030, we want everything that we make to be fully recyclable with our recycle partner, and so nothing goes to waste. We have our 730 range, which is where we show you products that does that, and then we also make sure that we've tracked our entire supply chain, so we make sure that the chemicals and everything, and every piece of our bamboo viscose process is safe and is good. For nature as much as it can be we also work with shareware which shareware is an organization that tries to, is trying to end clothing poverty so we have bags that you can order on our site you can put your used clothing that's still usable they take it and then they distribute it to people who don't have it okay. so you know trainers from it could be any clothing not just bam stuff so we do that we work with our partners and then the third thing is around helping people thrive and making sure that everyone has fair we know all of our partners. We've tracked our entire supply chain, which is really rare. And we work with the Fairware Foundation to make sure that people are treated fairly, they're paid fairly. And a lot of the horror stories that big sportswear companies have been attributed to in the past doesn't happen on, on us. And we also make sure our UK operation is looked after, paying above the living wage and things like that. So I've given you a real headline bit. How do you do that? whilst also trying to tell you how amazing these pair of leggings are and how they help yeah. sculpt your body and they're squat proof, they're opaque, so you won't see, you won't see other. You know, it's really difficult, but it goes to the basics of communicating and storytelling. And I think of it really simply like this. 
our sustainable story is like Lord of the Rings. I have to think about how I sell Lord of the Rings to people. And that means that I need to do a headline, a, a trailer, it might be an extended clip. It's the way we used to do Peaky Blinders and how we used to sell Peaky Blinders. And then when I went to Endemol and, and then leave everything else there for them to go and read and, and explore. So it's about emotion, values, story, headlines, and then expanding underneath that. So this is the best product. It does this, this, and this, and this item is climate positive. Mm. Okay. You've signaled that. I get it. I like it. And I'm going to see that trailer lots of times. But I really want to learn more about that. I'm going to go and find the brand on social, or I'm going to go and look for myself. Rather than saying, I'm going to tell you everything, which I've probably kind of done in this podcast, and going the other way. So it's I, I've called it signals or open houses before. For other brands, I've called it fireworks and rabbit holes. And it's about understanding the customer moments, where they are in their journey and being able to put something appropriate that does what it needs to do in that performance. So the, the real example that we've done this year is to say our, our headline, our kind of line underneath was high performance, low impact. So you're starting to understand what we mean by that. And then there might be an additional line that says every item is climate positive. So you know low impact and you know that kind of bit. And then you might want to click and understand what that is. You can come to the site, EVPs, you know, things like that. And I think it's that messaging hierarchy that just is what you need and you need to plan out. And it's never perfect. Yeah. <laughs> no one's always going to do. But if you've got an open – I said this today to someone – the, the signals and open houses strategy is that you, you try as much as possible to, to get them through the front door, but they might want to hang out in the bedroom the whole time. They might be really interested now. They might be interested in the kitchen, but you allow them to then be able to explore at their own pace. Some people might just want to come to the front door, stay in the porch and then leave. That's cool too. But you create that structure and hierarchy to, to let them do that. Okay. Yeah, so you kind of, I suppose, like tease, tease a bit of it, make sure the information is there so people are seeing it, but it's not overwhelming. But if they want to go and explore it, that information is there and they can, they can go into a deeper dive on it. Yeah, I wouldn't say tease it. I would say give a really clear signal with your most important point. And, okay, yeah. and and wrap that up obviously in a nice customer way and, and and how you want to put that out there. But yeah, more less of a tease and more of the the sort of statement that you can back up or the thing that you think is most important. Because yeah. people only have a certain level of attention and in that moment, and some people don't need any more than that. They just want to know that it's okay and they've read something. So it's yeah, it's yeah, it's not tease because you're yeah. kind of not saying we're really brilliant. Come and find out. You kind of want to do that statement and get them to buy as quickly as possible. That's yeah, you know, you don't want them to spend all their time reading your story and then not buy. You know, that's the the other thing you have to weigh on. 
Yeah. So I guess better way of putting it is then you, you've got almost like you've got your skimmers and your your researchers. You want there to be enough information for the skimmers to just get those those signals, those yeah. kind of I guess almost like bullet point statements that and they just go, yep, cool, amazing, love it. But then there's also enough content for the people who do want to read about it and fully understand it. And it's designed in a way to allow both to just get what they need and move on to buy as soon as they're ready to buy. Yeah, precisely that. And another analogy, a way I think about it, or a way I kind of tell my team to think about it is, the, I was taught this at university, a way when print journalism was probably held in higher regard, kind of pre-internet explosion. But it was, you know, you're taught how to write a newspaper article in a triangle system. So you have your headline that makes the statement, tells your story. It's, a, it's the same with video, three, five, and 10 seconds of doing it. Then you expand it in your first paragraph, in your second paragraph, and then, and it's the same thing. Your skimmers will read the headline, maybe the first two lines, they get it. But if you're really interested, you will then go into the story and you can read all of the facts and stats and, and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, cool. But, it's tri- but it is tricky, though. It, it is tricky. The market is really also really cluttered. And what you said there about trust, and that's the trust and transparency is a real big challenge in the the industry at the moment. And you know, there are brands who will say they have an incredible sustainable range, but that's maybe ten products, and then a hundred other products or 5,000 other products aren't sustainable or they're not environmentally friendly or they're not conscious or however you want to put it, depending on what sector you're in. And so there is a lot that's very disingenuous. And mm. there are a lot of words that people don't understand. We, we were discussing the other day, is the word sustainability gone? Has it bolted? Does it now not mean anything because it's being used so much and so in wrong situations? So you're also constantly thinking about trying to make it as simple as possible for people to trust you and to make people understand it. Yeah, and I mean, I I don't know this this uh, this industry very well, but I remember watching. Uh, did you ever watch Super Size Me Two? I haven't seen the second one. I saw the first one, but not so the first. The second one, he he starts his own chicken restaurant, and so the whole thing is about diving into the the industry itself to understand the different terms, how they go about doing different things. One thing that stuck out, stuck out for me was the, this is in America, so I don't know, I don't know how the rules are different here. I imagine they're still not great, but the thing that stuck out was the, the way you get to classify chickens as free range, which is they have to have access to X amount of outside space for a certain number of hours a day right access to so yeah. what he did was he they literally cut a hole in the in the warehouse put some chicken wire down in a semicircle outside it and that was it so this space must have been i don't know it was like 15 feet yeah maybe in a in a, in a kind of circle round a semicircle round so not a huge amount of space for an entire warehouse of chickens but because they have access to that space they're now classed as free-range chickens. Well, I mean, even in that sentence, why are chickens living in a warehouse? They're sentient animals. It should be the first one. But yeah, the, the animal conditions that animals live in within 
farming, intensive farming is horrific. And I think the reality of if I, I still hold the belief that if everyone saw how, you know, pigs that never leave their cages, bears in China with bear barrel farms in China, which are horrific, but pigs and the realities of our food, which we're not taught, it, it is horrific. And it's that, whereas on those terms, I mean, it's not as bad in the UK, but that was one of my big worries about Brexit was that you're losing the some very good laws around animal welfare from the EU to then be able to start shipping in meat and animals, food, however you want to phrase it, from countries that do not have those strict things in place. And it's, it is quite horrific. But, I mean, it's the same thing is with, with fashion in that, to stop me going on an animal welfare rant, there's a lot of grey area. And that's where I think there is a lot of trust issues. But it's, it's also around education, what we're taught, you know, about textiles. Polyester is a synthetic fibre made from, you know, it's, it's basically a plastic and it's made from crude oil. So, you know, how many people who are environmentalists sit in there wearing polyester? You know, and the reality is, is that most people go, oh, I don't really know where polyester is from. I never really thought yeah. about that. And, you know, and you, you start to think polyester against my skin. That, you know, plastic, I'm wearing a plastic suit, plastic T-shirt, plastic trousers, plastic shorts. It's, it's not fantastic. And it's those phrases that are so flippantly used that are that don't help the true message come through basically yeah and when you put it like that it doesn't sound great does it you know you don't want to be wearing plastic you know yeah. certain things maybe you know you would expect some, maybe some waterproof items to be kind of plasticky but yeah like sports gear do you want to be sweating into yeah. plastic which is then on your skin yeah um, i mean it's it's just really complicated as well because even if you look, like we, we really push and we're trying to build our business, you know, up to 2030 into having fully circular solutions. Now we have, we use recycled polyester and things like that. And we work with a specialist supplier, a specialist, sorry, provider of recycling to be able to recycle that recycled polyester to keep it going into clothes. When you have recycled bottles, that isn't actually great that great because you're taking recycled bottles that could be recycled into bottles again and you're taking it to its end of life whereas what we're trying to do is to stop that end of life so there's, there's great amounts of complexity of what is good what is better than where we are and then what and what is great and then yeah sort of and i think that's you know for the common person on the street how do you how do you navigate that? It's really difficult. Yeah, and I suppose when it comes to things like trust and and, and understanding, you know, what does sustainable mean? Right. So, if a brand, like you say, a brand, a big brand, might come out with a a small range of sustainable products, make a big claim about them being sustainable, but what what is the what is the requirement? In the UK, for example, what, what is the requirement to be able to claim that that product is sustainable? Well, there's now you have the Green Claims Code, which the government have just introduced to try and eradicate greenwashing. 
And this is where if you are making green claims, they have to be backed up in the same way that the Advertising Standards Commission work. But it's worked on a, it's not on a kind of clear cast way where you have to put your content in and they'll approve it or not. It's, you know, it's done in a, you can complain about it. And if it's yeah. untrue, we'll find you a uh, type of way. That's really- Does it have to be, so do, do, do any statements have to be backed like publicly- for that person to be able to review or you know if you make a claim can i say i don't think that's right that doesn't look right and then make a complaint and then it gets investigated or can yeah, i see the from research? my understanding yeah from my understanding is that if someone be that a person or a business a person who works for the government is kind of putting this together highlights something that isn't true you they will then become investigated but it's not a, it's not done in a you have to prove it when you go out with it unless you are on a specific platform that makes you prove it. So Clearcast, for example, although we've we've had some challenges with Clearcast, with they don't seem to also have the there is so much grey in this sector that it really comes down to the individual consultant they have working on a brand on whether something gets through. So we did a process with Clearcast where they said, you can't say this and you can't say that, or you need to back that up or you need to back that up. Fair enough, right? I mean, that's that's the way it is. And we accepted it and we worked along that, that kind of process. But then we were looking at car ads and going, how the hell did, did, did that get through? Because there's no way that that claim by the car can be backed up. That's still an opinion. A, a sustainability um, claim, is this? A, a sustainability claim or just claims in general. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then I look at some fast food chains who make out that cows have a happy life by being cows that are used in their burgers. Yeah. I can pretty much guarantee that that's not the case. So it it's still seems that, sustainability has its challenges because it is this gray area they're trying to help and to stop greenwashing from happening but it seems to also be a general problem outside of just what sustainability is what's happy what is performance in a car you know that's yeah on, on, on the car note you know i i've got an electric car I'm I'm looking at changing it for another electric car. And a key thing for me is range. I want a bit more range from my next car. But the issue is some websites will just give you the one stat and they will say this car is 220 mile battery range, right? Yeah. And then, you know, having spoken to my dad a bit about this because he's had an electric car for a little while, I now know knock off 20%, maybe 25% of that. That's the actual range I'm going to get. But that then that becomes a, why why is that a thing? Why yeah. do I have to make that calculation and understand it? What happens if I buy that car, don't get the 200-mile range or the 220-mile range? Can I then sue for false advertising? Or, you know, they probably get around it by saying, well, you're not, you're, not, you're reasonably expected to understand this or something. And then yeah, you get other and, websites and that's which, the challenge. Which break down a huge amount of stats for it. And that that leaves you leaves you confused as well. You know, it's you you get your catalog battery range then you get your your battery range in the city out the city in the summer in the winter and then again you're looking at all these stats and it's just it's not really helpful 
Well, what we do from a, the environmental side, so from the planet side, is that we work with a company called Green Story, who are an independent organization who measures all of our impact. So okay. they will come out and they measure our impact and they show us where's good, where's not. And then we can compare it against organic cotton, regular cotton, other man-made cellulistic fibers, I think is the term. So, you know, and then against other, you know, synthetic fibers as well. And it feels to me that, you know, we have that and that's an independent body. And I know other brands use that as well to measure impact. But there isn't a body doing that that I can see. I was in, I was buying a car six months ago and there wasn't anywhere like that that independently verified this. And I think that's where Volkswagen got into trouble because they yeah. falsified their stuff. That someone must have whistled, you know, whistle blown on them. <laughs> yeah, I so, think yeah, that, I that think was that a little bit more more serious because it does seem like they deliberately, from what I understand, they deliberately did some things wrong as opposed to just twisting the facts. But yeah, yeah and that's where I think that the independent bodies come in to that, that would be great to help customers guide if that's what's important to them. So when you said like a big company saying we've got a, a brilliant sustainable range, then Actually, they're probably true about that range because they're saying it's this range. They're not saying, yeah. well, what about the rest of our business? You know, and that's the, yeah. I guess that's what Shell, you know, Shell, their advertising or BP or other, we're doing all the sustainable stuff. They can, they can talk about that because they're talking about that project or that business rather than, oh, <laughs> don't, look, don't look at the rest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that's the, there's also another thing around banks. I've seen a couple of banks put out sustainability calculators. That West, I think, did one where it's like you can you can look at your own impact and then you can make changes. And like what the are Nat West doing that to me when they are investing millions, if not billions of pounds, into the fossil fuel industry and into stuff that is directly yeah. affecting carbon uh, well, climate change. You see it a lot, don't you? It's oh, what? Oh, which which heating company was it? They sent out socks. They sent out socks to their their customers quite recently. You know when all the prices were were about to go up, and they said you know, it was the message was around keeping warm. And it's like one of these things where you're trying to be trying kind of trying to be good and trying to be helpful, but at the same time completely missing the point Can't when you're off doing. Up. Doing, doing rubbish stuff on the other side. Well, also, also cut your profit line. If if people are really struggling, if you look at all the money that those companies are uh, profit they're making, I yeah. think you could cut half cut half that profit. You're still a very healthy company, and people around the country might not need to choose between clothing and heating. But there you go. We're probably getting off of the marketing yeah. point, but yeah, so, but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think you know, it's it's a, it, with the trust and transparency. The most, I think the other important thing is to show you're working and to have a really transparent process. You know, where are your clothes made? Who works on, we made this, and also make a promise. This is what we are. This is what we're doing. And we're going to get here by this date. And these are the steps. If you don't then stick to the promise, then customers have something to hold you to. But if, and then update people on how you're going, impact reports, you know, quarterly updates. Don't just say we're great, we're brilliant. 
go and buy this and you show nothing behind it because I think that's where trust goes down. So I think transparency and honesty is is really important too. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, yeah, give your customers your updates, right? If you if you truly care about it, then that comes across if you if you really talk about it on a regular basis basis and update people. If all you do is stick a put a badge on on the product page saying this product is sustainable and that's it, then I don't know if it adds much for anyone, really. Yeah, it's just so complicated because even on an electric car, you could argue that the batteries and the way that they're being done in Congo or wherever they are, and you know, it you know, the natural materials for that. And I think there has to be also a cutoff point where we're all just trying to do our best. And I think that should be that's the, the best mantra. We're doing our best. We're as transparent as honest as possible, and we're we're doing it, and we make a promise, and that's all we can all do, really. I think. Yeah. Um. Cool. I I realise we're we're running a bit short on time. I've got time, so if you want to go on, feel free. Have you got any for any brands who might be, or anyone who's looking at starting, maybe a starting a sustainable business, or, or brands that want to be more sustainable? Have you got any kind of top tips on how to approach it, or maybe even things to to really avoid? Yeah, I, I've got I've got some really easy tips, which I'm actually doing in a talk at uh, the DMWF in June, Digital Marketing World Forum, I think, in London. But they, they really summarise this. First of all, just appreciate what you're getting into. To do it properly is hard. It requires commitment, investment, and innovation. And there isn't really a quick fix to doing it properly. So the first thing is if you're just sitting there thinking, I want to do this, or I'm sort of working towards it, you probably already know that. But if you're at the start of the journey, that's kind of the first thing. It's just realize the task you have from a product point of view. But then if you're then taking that into comms and marketing is to take that hard slog, what the truth is, and just own the truth. Don't twist it. Focus on the why and make a promise and just own that truth. Say, you know, we have a crappy industry. This is what it is. And I want us to get us here in six years. This is the first step. Come and make a better choice if you want to come with us. In three years or in six months, I'm going to be doing this and this and this. And be really human. That's the big thing. We're humans talking to humans through the voice of a brand or through a product. And embrace that journey. And don't be paralyzed by perfection. Embrace the journey. Embrace the milestones. And be really honest and human. So if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. You're you're innovating as well as people are making their choices. And I think that people really respond to that transparency, that honesty, and they want to go on a journey with you and be a part of that kind of that movement. I think really important is not to shame. So don't shame people for not making the right choice. Help and enable them to make better choices because it's really tough to move behavior through that. Might seem basic marketing, but it's important. You, you push people away, don't you? No. Yeah. Yeah. Walls go up. You know, if you say what you're doing, you know, is wrong, it's always been wrong and you've been causing all this hurt, you're essentially challenging someone to really look at what they've done and say, oh, my God, I've caused harm here or I've done that and that's that's caused 
a problem over here or that's not been ideal. And it's really hard for us as humans to, if we're not open to that already, to be able to take that kind of inward look at yourself. So it's more about help enabling people to make a better choice and to show them why your product's best. It goes back to what, and, and that's one of the things. Remember you're selling a product or you're selling a service or whatever it might be. And remember that people want to hear about that primarily rather than just the ethics of it. As I said before, pub talk, everyday speak, plan your story, don't BS it, don't greenwash because that you will just fall down later on. And then I think the last thing, you know, the kind of headline is to work with partners to reinforce, prove you're doing it right. Because as you said, it's much better if someone else says, yeah, you're saying you're climate positive, but Green Story are telling, who are an independent yeah. body, are proving it. And I think that's the other thing is to, to get that sort of accreditation or be a part of body, you know, B Corp, you know, really actually quite a complicated and tricky thing to apply for because of their requirements, which is also very good. And they should do that because yeah. they want businesses to be good. And that's a good stamp of approval. So they would be, you know, to summarize them very quickly, they would be those yeah. um, kind of key tips. Yeah, it's a really good point about getting yeah getting an external party to verify. That's, that's something that's come up recently for me. I'm working with a CBD client and it's not a regulated industry. There's a lot of there's a lot of rubbish products out there. There's a lot of good products, and the good products are expensive. And part of the reason, part of the way of justifying the expense is to say, you know, these are lab tested. You know, they are optimal strength and all that. But I've yet to see. I think I'm yet to see any website actually provide the evidence on the lab testing, yeah. or the or or even just a lab tested by this lab company name. Yeah, just even a statement like that, and it's come up in customer interviews, right? They 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 want to know that there is some actual science behind it, and 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 it's properly kind of properly tested, and it's and it's someone has determined it is the right strength. And and you know, in in that scenario, most people won't understand the test, but the fact that they're transparent and they're there brings that level of confidence. And it's, yeah. but, you know, I mean, this is, this is, it's not rocket science. It's the same, right? If you're going into performance wear and you're saying we're going to become the best cyclist gear, essentially you want top cyclists to verify and wear your products and say, this really is the best and, or wherever you're trusted. So I think it, it, it works in the same way and, and it backs up your claims and proves that you're one of the good ones, so to speak. Yeah. There are lots of good ones, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So just before we finish, anyone in the D2C marketing space you'd want to have lunch with? Bob Mortimer's train guy. He sounds like he would be fantastic. Have you seen Bob Mortimer's train guy character? He no, uh, so. he does it on Twitter and he basically, I think, overheard someone working in London uh, being very loud on the train talking about business meetings and sales and stuff like that. And he kind of riffs, he riffs on that, which I, I think is really funny. Okay. You know, I find this one, I find this question really difficult because and this is not to disrespect anyone or marketing or anything like that. Um, I don't have any marketing heroes or anything like that. I would love to, I'd love just to sit down with anyone in the, the kind of plant-based or sustainable world who are just doing incredible things or are just starting a business people who've taken the leap to quit their day-to-day to to try and start a business. You know, I think I just find those 
stories are the really inspirational ones rather than rather than the others so yeah it's kind of you know it's the people like Judy and Damien who just started the pack which is a plant-based dog food and okay. who are you know bringing these new products to market and you know it's not necessarily a, a marketing thing but just I think inspirational people who, who've had a vision and are are following it through learning on the job with all of that energy I think they're they're, they're the the really kind of fun, interesting ones for me. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful to anyone in marketing either, because <laughs> I certainly, I, I know hardly anything about marketing. There are many smarter, cleverer people than I, but, you know, if I, if I had to sit down, I think, you know, some of those guys, just to get their energy and then their enthusiasm, and I think it would be fantastic. And probably some of my favourite ex-colleagues who have all gone on to be, incredibly seen successful marketers who I know like a drink and could uh, come back and spill some some learnings and secrets yeah awesome and and just final thing have you you got any tools particularly marketing tools but just tools that you use on a a day-to-day basis in the business that you'd recommend to people I I'm all about flagging the unsung heroes so I thought about this a lot and I thought, am I, am I supposed to give some sort of really flashy answer or mention a tool that we're using in email and stuff like that? But the reality is I like Outlook. I love Office, Microsoft Office. I was once called PowerPoint Pete in an old job. I, my phone, that I can get my calendar up while I'm speaking to someone. I love Teams. I think remote working works incredibly well or hybrid working, I think works incredibly well. And I'm a huge advocate of it. And there was a point when I was in, I came into the office and all of my team had headphones on. So it was like like a kind of completely redundant kind of office atmosphere. And I think something like Teams makes it really easy to communicate. If you want to chat, jump on a call, I really, I really, I'm a big fan of that. But, you know, Flashy tools. I love a Power BI dashboard, but I love my audience data and analysis teams more than the dashboard because they're yeah. the ones who are extracting all of the juicy stuff that can help us make a difference. So I'm, I mind if you're listening to this, take a second to appreciate all of those tools and technologies that you probably forget about that are amazing. That especially, you know, just being able to share a Word doc these days. I don't have to attach it. You know, you can track the changes and do all of that. I just find so much easier and makes my life so much better. Yeah. No, not a boring agree. answer for people. <laughs> come on, guys. No, I'm not it, sponsored by Microsoft, I promise. <laughs> it's, it's a fair point, though. It's Yeah, it's, it's amazing being able to share a Google... Well, I use Google Docs. So sh- share a Google Doc or a sheet with someone, be able to work on it in the, at the same time, like be in the same document, you know, even jump on a call and share the link to it and you know screen share it and just work on it together that sort of thing yeah. just makes a massive difference but wasn't available what, five years ago yeah i know my team love asana uh, if you know my team love that but i'm also i love writing i find it really nice to start the well i do it at the end of the week is to write down my to-do list for the next week Mm-hmm. I find there's a sense of Zen and a way of really understanding what you've got to do with pen and paper rather than it being a, another thing on a screen. So, yeah. 
So go, interesting. Go I, Teams I, and Office. I, I do a mix actually. I've I've got uh, ClickUp for my just every task goes in there. But yeah, on a weekly basis, what I need to do this week goes down on paper. Yeah. It just sits sits next to me and just gets crossed off as each bit gets done. I, yeah, I find that's so much more satisfying than marking something as complete. In I just, you know, when you've got, I have like a terrible desktop process. You know, I have loads of PowerPoints open, Excel's open, Word's open. I open emails because I want to read them or I have to action them. It's very unhealthy, I know, way of dealing with your inbox. So being able to have just one source of truth that's not a screen or not another program, I just... Uh, uh, makes it real and achievable. But then I've, I do, I do, I write in my spare time. So I do sort of creative writing and things like that. And even then, when I'm planning out a novel, I will type it out, but then I'll do everything offline and and start working out the story. So it must be just just my my old brain liking pen and paper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm I like a pen as well. I've I've got some nice pens just because yeah. I like. I like writing. So yeah, awesome stuff. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Loved hearing about sustainability. If if people wanted to reach out, find find out more, what's the best way of doing that? Well, if you want to find out more about BAM, obviously bambooclothing.co.uk is a pretty simple way you will navigate to. If people want to get in contact with me, I'm quite easily findable on LinkedIn. Certainly is with the amount of requests I get a day. So you definitely can find me. So yeah, drop me a line and yeah, we didn't even, even get to talk to other marketing stuff. So anytime you want to do this again and we can dive into those things, yeah. I'd love to come back. And thank you for having me as well. No problem. Thank you for joining me. Cheers. Thanks, Will. A key message here from Pete is that going full on down the sustainability route can be powerful, but it's crucial that you still sell your products. You've still got to keep that focus on the products themselves and how good they are for the customer. Sustainability is a secondary concern. It's a big, powerful one, but it's still secondary to does the product do the job? So how do you fit this message in when you've got three seconds to attract someone's attention and 10 seconds to win it? You've got to get those very specific key messages in place that customers take note of but doesn't distract from the product itself. Once the customer's attention has been captured and they're now genuinely interested in the product, then you can weave in more of the brand and product story and the sustainability message. It does require careful consideration and planning on the website because if you get it wrong, you either come across as not really committed to the cause or you overpower your product and customers don't really see the value in it. If you'd like to hear more from Pete, particularly around his approach to getting the storytelling right, reach out to him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. Next up, I've got Anthony Chiaverella joining me. He's one of the founders at Manmade, a new brand based out in Canada who produce some amazing products aimed at men who want the best and want to keep it simple. I can confirm myself because they sent me a bundle and it's just fantastic. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Oh, 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 oh,